and welcome to this episode of the Ed Surge Extra Podcast. My name is Betsy Corcoran. I'm CEO and co-founder of Ed Surge. This episode is one of three spotlight interviews I did as a part of our State of Ed Tech special report. You can check out the full coverage and play with some interactive elements on our site at edsurge.com or try the short link, which is bit.ly backslash edtechfinance. In this episode, I speak with Jennifer Carolyn, who's co-founder of Reach Capital. Jennifer's had an enormous impact on the edtech investing world. She started back in 2010 at the New School Venture Fund. She set up a seed fund and started investing small amounts of money in startup companies. And one of those companies was EdSurge. Over the years, she's invested in more than 40 companies on behalf of New School Venture Fund. Then last year, she and a few partners decided to set up a separate fund, a for-profit fund called Reach Capital. They're now managing the New School Venture Fund portfolio, and they've raised additional funding to invest on their own. Jennifer started her career as a teacher, and that background, along with the time that she spent at New School Venture Fund, has deeply informed her investing philosophy. Reach is looking for companies that are focused on blended and personalized learning and are really trying to look for a positive outcome for students and for teachers. Tell me your name and your title. Jennifer Carolyn, Reach Capital. Excellent. And uh, Jennifer, you started the seed fund under New School Venture Fund as a nonprofit back in 2010 or 11, and you've made something like 50, more than 50 investments now. Tell me a little bit about how much money you have under management and uh, what uh, what you're doing with, with Reach. Sure. So the REACH Capital Fund was fully raised in October of 2015. That's a $54 million fund for K-12 ed tech tools. Prior to that, the seed fund was a $12 million fund, and that was fully invested as of February of, of 2015. So we moved those assets from the New School Seed Fund under REACH Capital. So in total, we have $66 million under management. And what's, what's been the average size of those investments? For seed fund, it was a hundred to 200,000. Now it's 500,000 to 2 million. Wow. Um, so tell me a little bit about what the th- investing thesis of REACH is. We aim to back startups that are targeting personalization in schools. And what does personalization in schools mean? So our belief is that we're moving from this one-size-fits-all model to a more differentiated or personalized approach to education, but we don't have the tools, the content, the processes in place to do that yet, and we're trying to back the, the startups that are helping educators and schools make that transition. Excellent. So what's different about investing in ed tech? than anything else, clean tech, nanotech, fill in the blank tech. I, I actually think it's it's very similar because it comes back to the founders and across all sectors, we're trying to support mission-driven founders. Um, John Doerr talks about this mission-driven founders versus mercenaries. And I think regardless of the sector, you wanna back entrepreneurs that are 
trying to solve an authentic problem to them. So I think in that way, it's the same. It's different in that the stakes are very high. At the other end of these investments, these companies are children and families and schools and administrators. And those are really, all of them are really tough jobs. And we want to get this right. And so we feel a, a huge sense of, of responsibility. And I think everyone does in the sector uh, to, to get it right. So if you had to name three things you're looking for in a prospective investment, you talked about passion, making sure it's a missionary, not a mercenary, and that genuine sense, maybe even a sense of responsibility of, gosh, we're not just, uh, we're not just doing throwaway photos here, folks. <laughs> um, what else? What are, what are two other things that you really mm-hmm. look for that helps you decide this is a right investment for us? Yeah, so, so the other two big ones would be fit with our overarching thesis of personalization and schools. So we see about 30 companies coming inbound per week. This is double what it was during the seed fund. And a lot of these are incredible entrepreneurs that are trying to improve the world. And, and yet we have to, to turn most of them down because of fit with our thesis. This is actually the toughest part of my job is turning down these incredible entrepreneurs. I have to do that two or three times a day because so many of them are doing incredible things, exciting new innovations, but they just happen to be outside of, of, of the space that we're in. So we, we say sometimes in our team that we're not building or backing tools for Palo Alto soccer moms. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you a Palo Alto soccer mom? <laughs> yes, I can say that because I'm, I'm one of them. So that, you know, that is a, there's a market there and there's a need and there's demand, but that, it's not our fund to do that. So we're trying to, to back companies that are reaching the mass market, a huge scale, and especially improving outcomes for the most underserved families and, and kids and teachers. Okay. What nicks is a deal? What you said you're seeing 30 companies a week, or at least you're seeing their proposals cross your desk. Is there anything that really nixes it straight off the bat? If, if we perceive that this is a mercenary founder, this is a really tough space to to build a company in. So no flippers, huh? Exactly. No no flippers. Okay. So that would be that would be one. I would say another would just be outside of the investment thesis. And you know, one thing that we see sometimes in pitches, like in the first couple of slides, they will have a slide about who they're gonna sell this company to. And that's something that you know, it's not a mix, but it's it's something that we would we would want to better understand and dive deeper into. Oh, that's interesting because oftentimes they'll say to people who are entrepreneurs, you know, explain what your outcome is. So you don't want to hear that they want to sell to your favorite big nameless company. <laughs> right. right, right. We we want them to build a huge, sustainable high-impact company in K-12. And before you even get started to be talking about an exit, just 
just doesn't sit right. Mm. So let's talk about success and failure. What percentage of your investments are going to succeed? In in our model, we've we've built in about fifty percent failure. So this is pretty standard for That's early half. stage. Yeah, half your companies are going to fail, which is pretty standard for early stage venture venture capital. Ouch! Uh, I hope it's <laughs> on the right side of that half. Doing everything we can here. <laughs> I think this is a very humbling job venture because every time you make an investment, you wholeheartedly believe that this company is going to succeed. And yet, the, according to the numbers, half of your companies won't. So you're constantly learning about the investment process and what it takes to build a great company. So it's, it's yeah, it's really a really tough set of numbers here. But I think that in education, uh, we're seeing so far from our seed fund numbers that it's that those numbers are actually better. We've had a lot fewer companies go under. But what are the benchmarks of success, particularly in a marketplace where there's not been an IPO in K-12? Uh, how do you measure how they're doing? Sure. So I do think the IPO market in K-12 will, will open up, as, as it will for, for other tech companies, too. Uh, we look for scale, so our companies are aiming to, to reach the mass market, millions of students, hundreds of thousands if not millions of teachers, um, or millions of parents, so we're looking at scale, we're looking at efficacy, we're double bottom line funds, so we're looking at both impact and financial metrics. But do we have good measures of efficacy yet? I think we do. I think I, we definitely, most of our companies measure their efficacy in some way. And some of them measure through NWA standards, for example, pre and post tests or other types of standardized assessments. And others measure in less traditional metrics of, of efficacy. So, you know, I'll give you just one example. We have a company in the early stage communication platform for preschool, and they look at attendance rates. So if if parents are frequently using the product, logging on every day, for example, getting emails of their of the an update on their children's progress, are they more likely to improve attendance in Head Start preschools, for example? So I, you know, I think these this is evolving the, the the measures of efficacy, but most of our companies, if not all, are measuring their efficacy in some way. Mm. Is um is this a healthy ecosystem for selling education technology? We've talked about procurement being broken. We've talked about the slowness of this marketplace. Is mm-hmm. this a is this a healthy marketplace? I, I believe it is. It's been a marketplace with for-profit players since the 1820s, since the, the McGuffey Reader. Mm-hmm. And I think teachers are, are and educators very desperate for great tools. So we're seeing a, a major shift right now from print to digital, and we're seeing that, the, the whole unbundling of content and the new delivery methods and, and ways that content is being consumed at the school level. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of money spent on education. We have a lot of money spent on content, on professional development, on workflow tools, and you know, frankly, a lot of it's spent inefficiently now. So 
I think that there's incredible opportunity to build healthy businesses here. We have a, a company that was our first investment out of seed fund in 2011, Goldbook. They took in 900,000 of investment capital, are now reaching millions of, of children, operating in some of the largest urban school districts across the country, DC, San Francisco, Houston, many others, um, and are profitable and doing very well. That's a, that's a great success story. Here's a company that's creating a lot of value, measuring their impact, having a lot of impact in, in schools, and all they took in was less than a million of investment and sustainable. What about the companies that fail? I mean, you must have a couple companies at this point that have sort of dropped out. Yeah, so those companies so far have been acquired uh, sometimes at a aqua hired at a loss for for investors, but thankfully their their technology has has lived on in 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 other ways. But you know that doesn't mean to say there are sometimes there are companies that that shouldn't go on and shouldn't be propped up by investment capital, and in those cases those are really tough discussions and decisions where. The investors and the entrepreneur have to decide to shut the company down. Have you had one of those? I have not yet. Not yet. Okay. What's one misconception that entrepreneurs have about the kind of investor you are? Who is mission-driven, mission-sensitive, double bottom line investor? What would you what would you like entrepreneurs to know? that we're rigorous around building sustainable businesses. So I've come out of schools, I was a teacher, worked at New Schools Venture Fund for 10 years, and now here, which I think is a great training and background for doing impact investing in K-12. And I would also say that to reach impact goals, you have to build sustainable companies and have strong business models. So, you know, I think that sometimes people might confuse impact investing uh, with philanthropy or with um, foundations, but when you take venture capital that you are, there's an agreement in place around building, having rigor and building a sustainable company. So that's, maybe that's a a misconception out there. And, you know, we talk about it disrupting a lot of things in education. We talk about disrupting schools. We talk about disrupting the way we teach kids, ultimately families even. Mm -hmm. What about the venture world? Should we be disrupting? Should there be some kind of disruption to what venture does in this segment? I think venture capital and education will look very different a decade from now than what it looks like today. How so? Well, the whole venture capital industry is undergoing changes now. We have new models, we have a lot a, a lot more new capital, diverse sources of capital, lots of experimentations going on in venture capital. And education VC is fairly new. This idea that there's vertically focused funds that are targeting K-12 or higher ed education. So there are real benefits to being a vertically focused fund because we understand the space really deeply, the problems, the challenges, the opportunities. 
And we, I think we can do a much better job of supporting entrepreneurs. So I learned how to do this work mainly through uh, investors at, at New Schools Venture Fund, John Doerr and Brooke Byers. And I would watch them working with entrepreneurs and, and learn a lot about their processes and how they, they did their jobs. And they would always talk about how this job is very customer service oriented. And the customer, of course, is the entrepreneur. So I really aim, and I hope you know, our, our whole organization really aims, to service the entrepreneur and to better support their needs. And I think that we're just scratching the surface at what can be done to support ed, ed tech entrepreneurs. And how can we better create a network and set of supports around them that, that can, can help improve their odds of success? Like, I, I don't think that we're doomed to this kind of 50% failure rate forever. Like, we can get better at the methodology around entrepreneurship, and Steve Blank and others have, have made headway there. But I think venture capital can get much better at improving their odds by better supporting entrepreneurs and, and improving their chances of success. So maybe it will look something like an Andreessen Horowitz for education and we have much better supports around um, improving the way that, that entrepreneurs um, sell into schools and build their teams and find the right positions. I know that a lot of our companies are looking for instructional designers right now and just getting a, a lot more detailed and focused on the particular challenges in this space and creating kind of an ecosystem of support around these entrepreneurs. That's, that's just one idea. <laughs> that's a pretty good one. And I think uh, we'll call it a wrap. Thank you very much. Thanks, Betsy. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Ed Surge Extra podcast. My name is Betsy Corcoran. And I hope you'll check out our State of the Ed Tech special report. You can find that at edsurge.com or by looking for the short link bit.ly backslash edtechfinance.